0: Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Rona Joy Sen, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute. The violence in Luckingpur Kheri in Uttar Pradesh earlier this month, which led to the death of eight people, including four farmers, has been grabbing the headlines over the past few days. In the latest developments, Ashish Mishra, the son of Union Minister of State for Home, Ajay Mishra, who also represents Luckingpur Kheri in the Lok Sabha, has been arrested on murder charges in the violence case and has been remanded to 14-day judicial custody. His arrest comes five days after he was named in an FIR after his speeding car allegedly mowed down at least four farmers protesting against a statement by his father. With elections in Utsin Pradesh scheduled early next year, the inc- incident has resulted in intense politicking and the opposition has mobilized around it to discuss the incident and its implications we have with us Gilles Verniers, who closely follows Indian politics and particularly Uttar Pradesh. Professor Verniers is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Ashoka University and co-director of the Trivedi Center for Political Data there. His research interests include mechanisms of representation and participation in India, state politics, democratization in South Asia, sociology of elected representatives, Controversies and Problems in India's Democracy, Ethnic and Post-Identity Politics, Minority Politics, and Political Parties. The list could go on. Now, Gilles completed his BA in Economics, Social and Political Science from the University of St. Louis in Brussels. He earned his MA in Political Science and Social Sciences with a specialization in International Relations from the Catholic University of Louvain, or the UCL Belgium. He completed his PhD in political science from CSCO, I think I'm not pronouncing it correctly, which is uh, affiliated with the Center for International Research and Studies, CERI. Thank you, Gilles, for joining us today. Uh, You've written about the UP government's reaction to the incident in Lakhimpuri and what you called its disregard for democratic norms. Could you elaborate on this?
1: Yes. So, I mean, first of all, this is not the first time that uh, such an incident happens. Um, It's, you know, closeness with an election, involvement of the son of a minister, a union minister, and the fact that those farmers that were attacked and not, you know, members of minorities or impoverished Dalits, uh, makes that there is a combination of factors that draw more attention on this particular event. Um, one must also say that there's a culture of impunity that has been part of the political culture in UP for a long time. Uh, those who remember the BSP regimes or the SP regimes, they were also marked by incidents of elected representatives, representatives uh, flashing guns, shooting at people, political murders, violence, and, and, and so forth. What makes the current period in this particular incident and, and the string of incidents that have happened over the past few years distinctive to my mind is the fact that the violence is not just associated with um, simply electoral politics or the kind of petty criminality that is characteristics of UP, but it's associated with a political project sponsored by the state. Uh, precisely in a state which is already known for its poor um, law and order record.
0: You know, just to sort of move on to, uh, you know, outside of UP to this reaction of the central government, you know, the central government has been largely silent on the incident, you know, despite a central minister's son being at least linked to it, if not involved. Um, and there's been some talk that such incidents are not treated equally by the media in- intelligence. Yet. And I'm referring to uh, the finance minister, Nirvana Sitaraman's uh, remark made, I think yesterday uh, in the United States. Um, so what are your views on this, the silence of the, of the central government?
1: So we, we, we've seen that uh, in repeated occasions that the government uh, prime minister maintain a studied silence whenever the violence that occurs sort of fits into uh, their um, political playbook. In the case of the Lakimpo-Kerry incident, the prime minister was actually present in Lucknow the day after the incident, and he did not say a word about it, right? He was there celebrating the chief minister, but not a word was mentioned about the um, incident. The very fact that one of his own minister, you know, uh, at son, you know, was, you know, involved in, in, in the event. Um, the social media associated with the BJP also focused more on the BJP workers who were killed uh, and on the burned vehicles and not so much on the initial attack that led to the counter violence in the first place. And that's a pattern that we have seen with many incidents of lynching, public beatings of Dalits or Muslims, uh, also with rapes, which were covered, you know, by by the media. Uh, Ministers and party officials usually raise their voices, usually only to accuse the opposition of seeking to politicize such um, violent um, event. So this really fit into a pattern that we have seen for, for quite some time. And... One must also mention the opposition, who is not blameless um, either. It's true that there is an element of selected outrage when it comes to reacting to such violent events. Just to give you an example, over the past few weeks, there has been a spate of targeted killings of civilians in Kashmir, and that has not drawn as much reaction from um, opposition parties. Uh, in this case obviously they cannot point at you know directly at the state as being responsible for those violence since those killings were perpetrated by alleged you know militants um but you do not see them you know rushing to um uh victims families to 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 provide them comforts and and or, or, or using these opportunities to score points um, against, uh, against, against, against the government. So there is an element of manipulation, there's an element of instrumentalization of shocking events and tragic events um, on both sides, uh, on the government side on one hand, but also on the opposition side uh, on the other hand.
0: Right, since you mentioned both the government and the opposition and its, and, and the feelings of both, uh, could I just sort of move on to the question of the uh, the impact of this incident on the Uttar Pradesh elections, which, as we all know, is scheduled for early next year? Do you believe this incident and the way it's been handled uh, could have an impact on the, the elections next year?
1: So... Um... First of all, we do not know with precision what exactly affects electoral outcomes in general. I mean, as you know, we don't have a very good, you know we don't have a functioning voting theory about India. Electoral behavior is not something that we understand well for lack of data, but also because something that characterizes Indian voters is the unpredictability and, and the ever-changing character of their um, electoral behavior. Um, And and second, I usually don't risk, you know, doing predictions because you also know very well, it's a very risky business um, in the Indian context, but one can still make, you know, one can still make, you know, an assessment and the assessment would be quite measured because one can predict, I mean, one can say that, yes, obviously this event you know, tied up with other, you know, violent events that have occurred, you know, in UP over the past few months, over the past few years, sort of add up, provide to the opposition an opportunity to make uh, absence of law and order a campaign issue, particularly when the chief minister in power, Yogi Adityanath, makes a tall claim about being tough on crime and being effective, you know, on, 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 on crime. That being said, uh, and like many other factors in in Indian politics, um, the effects that might be generated by this event are likely to be very diffused, right? I can give as an analogy uh, the case of the uh, migrant who uh, literally walked back to Bihar uh, during the first wave of COVID uh, uh, more than a year, almost two years ago now where it was thought that, you know, these many thousands farmers, uh, sorry, many thousands migrant workers going back to Bihar uh, soon before a state election would have an impact on the outcome. And it's probable that many of those migrants and their families and friends and relatives, you know, would nourish deep resentment against the government. But the fact that they came from every district of Bihar basically uh, ensured that the effect of their discontent was really diffused And when it comes to elections, elections are never fought around one particular issue, or or they're not even fought around big personalities uh, exclusively as as, as we are sometimes made to believe. And so uh, whatever impact this event might have on the campaign, it can give a draw to the opposition, it can give a draw to the farmers movement, we can talk more about this. But my sense is that the effect is likely to be diffused and therefore not determinant on uh, the uh, outcome uh, well, next April.
0: Right, that's uh, measured, but also an excellent analysis of the inherent unpredictability of of voting behavior and the the diffusion of of impact of several similar incidents. Um, Since we talked about the opposition, let me sort of ask you my next question. You know, does a divided opposition, and we know that the opposition in Uttar Pradesh, of course, you have the Samajwadi Party, you have the, the Bahujan Samaj Party, you have the BSP, and the Congress, which has been in the doldrums for a while, but has been trying to milk this shoe or whatever it's worth. So does a divided opposition have the wherewithal in your mind to, to mobilize on this issue or this incident?
1: So there are two things. One is, you know, the mobilization on these issues. And, and, and second is the planning and organization of a campaign and the elaboration of a sound electoral strategy, which at least necessitate thinking about um, alliances. Everybody knows that a divided opposition cannot mount a serious challenge to an ultra dominant uh, BGP in the state of UP. Um, and, and, and the opposition as of now is merely reacting on events. And it's not quite clear you know, what exactly are they doing in terms of um, capacity building, rebuilding you know, organizations, hiring party workers, uh, uh, designing a campaign strategy, uh, thinking about you know, what, what are the ideas that they're going to defend beyond you know, the usual critique that they can mount and, and justifiably so against the um, governments. So uh, they can add and they will add this event and the many other instances of violence that have occurred in UP um, and they can try to puncture the government's claim that it's effective on crime. It's going to be an, 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 a campaign issue for sure. But the larger question has to do with the organization of the opposition. Are they going to form an alliance? Are they going, or Are they going to fight separately? No one today expects a BSP-SP alliance. It tried in 2019, it actually right. failed. Even though it was a strong alliance on paper, it actually uh, backfired. It, it didn't work. Um, and the BSP today is very unlikely to get into is a position of weakness and therefore is unlikely to get into an alliance uh, in which it is not at least an equal partner. Right. So that alone, that factor alone provides the BJP with an enormous advantage. The Congress has been in the doldrum, you know, in UP for a long time. Um, They represent maybe six to eight percent of of the vote share. Um, They could, you know, lend support to the party best positioned today to challenge the BJP. And that would be the Samajwadi Party. They have worked together in in the past, but past experience has shown that the Congress in UP tends to drag down an alliance, right? And so it's a question of balancing uh, uh, different parties' sense of status. Will the Congress accept to be part in an alliance, but um, get only a limited number of seats uh, that it can contest um, that does not really fit with the image the inflated image it has about its own status you know in UPE right now, um, so at the moment, the landscape remains divided, parties campaign separately they 're doing their things you know separately. Um, it would be obviously in their interests to uh, think about campaign arrangement and alliance mechanisms ahead of the campaign and not wait for the last moment to see whether you know it still makes sense to do you know, this configuration or that configuration. They should rather make up their mind now and, and, and stick to the script. Instead, what we see today uh, is still a very divided, fragmented opposition landscape, which uh, plays in the advantage of the BJP.
0: Right, um, and you mentioned in earlier um, the, the issue of law and order and uh, how the chief minister of uh, Uttar Pradesh. Uh, Mr. Nath, uh you know, projects himself as a, as a as a chief minister for law and order. You know, in your analysis, and you've done so much analysis of elections, not just New piece, but you know across India. Does the issue of law and order, uh, how you know, how does it sort of figure in the electoral you know calculations of, of voters? Again, you know, with the caveat that we have a limited understanding of the voters. Yeah. But does the issue? Do you think it figures? highly or is sort of contuitively does not actually?
1: Law oh, and order has always been an issue in UP. There's always been a deficit of law and order. Uh, right. There's always been an element of, you know, disorder and violence and chaos. It's 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 it, 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 it's a state where that's been in, uh, marked by uh uh, 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 a deep level of diffused violence, permanent tensions between groups—you know, type of politics that's very antagonistic or agonistic—and and and so it's always been an issue, right? And so every part, every government, every party campaign, you know, on on this issue. And uh, after five years, after five year the term, they, they they're usually seen responsible you know, for the degradation of the law and order. This time, I feel it's a bit different because um, the the BJP makes it really the heart of its, you know, governance style and model. Um, It's used the legislative route to uh, create new mechanisms to fight against crime, which incidentally may have empowered the darker aspect of policing in, 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 in crime fighting you know, in, 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 in UP. Right. And, and it has done so in a way that sort of blends the domains of policing and the domains of you know, pursuing a political project um, that entails you know, the marginalization of minorities, but also the silencing of dissenters. And what we have seen in UP, and, and this is an issue that was, that was important, goes way beyond merely electoral politics. What we've seen in UP over the past five years is a government that does not hesitate to use and instrumentalize draconian laws, um, the sedition laws, section 144, the UAPA, to go after opponents, be it political opponents or dissenters among the citizenry. Journalists, activists have been arrested preventively, sometimes detained for more than a year without proper charges. Um, From 2018 onwards, there was uh, there's been a policy and even laws passed to encourage and even promote extrajudicial killings by the police. The Encounter policy that was part of a larger policy against crime. When the NTCAA protests took place in 2019, the UP government published the names, the phones, the addresses of protesters, uh, including on giant holdings in Lucknow, the state capital, right. which That's right. That's right. actually posed a threat to their lives. And during the second wave of COVID, UP became, to my knowledge, the only place in the world where anti-terror laws have been used to silence citizens and doctors who were merely reporting oxygen and, and medicine um, shortages. So the UP government makes the claim to be tough on crime, you know, putting petty criminality or conventional criminality in the same bag you know, with any other form of dissent as a way to criminalize citizens or activists who criticize its actions. And it does not hesitate to use violence in the name of fighting violence um, and and, and crime. And so the argument that I make is that by routinely using the law as a political instrument and at times as an instrument of state repression, the UP government has sort of redefined the meaning of the rule of law, not simply subverted it. And following this this redefinition, the state's actions are unilateral arbitrary, prone to turn victims into perpetrators, opposition in critics as co-conspirators. The state actions that claims, which claim legality also elude any form of accountability, including from judiciary, which has been a silent spectator. And that's what's something that we saw in the Lakimpo Kerry incident, at least during the first week after the incident, is that uh, basically the perpetrator, the son of the minister, um, roamed uh, free. There was mounting pressure. Uh, the police had no choice but to now put him under arrest, but the same kind of courtesy, uh, the same kind of appearance of due process has not been extended to a great many people um, in the state. And so in this conception of the rule of law, the ruler is, the, is not the one who follows rule and ensures that the rules are applied equally to all. But he's the one who creates the rule and uses them to suit his political goals. That's what, in political science, we call rule by law rather than the rule of law. Right. Right. And and that's been a strong characteristic um, of 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 the regime um, in Pradesh. Right.
0: That, that's a fascinating, but also an ominous analysis. Uh, finally, you know, moving beyond UP. Um, what kind of impact do you think the Lakhimpur-Kheri incident, uh, Lakhim incident will have on the farmers' movement, which of course has been on over the past several months and even during the pandemic? Uh, what is your analysis? I,
1: I, I see possibly uh, two main effects. Um, the first, first, firstly, this tragic incident undoubtedly will galvanize the movement. Um, in UP, we see that the movement is actually already expanding beyond Western UP where it's been contained, you know, so far precisely to Lakimpur district, which incidentally is a district that has virtually no history of farmers' movement or agitation, right. you know, right. in, in, in the past, right? Uh, that's the first, the first, the first, the first effect. The second effect is that the Lakimpur incident And the depiction of protesting farmers as separatists, as Kalistanis makes the the vilification uh, of the farmers through the incident and even before that, makes the possibility of a negotiated settlement of the dispute even more um, tenuous uh, than than, than before. And the government in a way is not incentivized to sort of settle the matter in a negotiated manner. Because it knows that uh, however strong, however resilient the movement is, it remains a movement uh, fairly limited geographically, but also in terms of caste and class, right? right? The farming laws affect, affect more, you know, the relatively small middle class among farmers, those who exploit reasonably larger, you know, land holdings. They are the one who have the most to lose from these legislations and and, and the grab of, you know, market forces and private, uh, you know, agro-business and agriculture. Uh, They they are the one who have the most to lose compared to the bulk of farmers who are engaged into subsistence agriculture, who are already suffering from a deep crisis of the sector. Right? And so the bulk of farmers in UP, uh, it's not those, you know, uh, jats or, or, or related castes you know fell uh relatively prosperous uh, middle class uh, farmer but it's it, it's a large you know uh, landless uh, laborers uh, agricultural laborers uh, small scale subsistence agriculture these farmers are not part of the uh, they are not part of the of the movement and and i don't see this last event um has you know changing that, um, aspect of the, uh, that aspect of the that uh, aspect of the of the protest
0: right thank you Gilles for those uh, deep insights um, and looking forward to talk, talking to you again soon on both Uttar Pradesh as well as Indian politics you will listen yeah, also here chat thanks if you wish to learn more about our work visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. thank you and goodbye